Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Jacob Marley is dead. This must be distinctly understood, or nothing wonderful can come of the podcast you are about to listen to. I'm sailing in on Christmas Day, on Christmas Day. I saw three ships come sailing in on Christmas Day in the morning. So I was watching a lot of wrestling this weekend and um, a lot of older stuff, um, a lot of Ric Flair. Uh, Ric Flair is considered like the greatest wrestler of all time. Interesting. Uh, yeah, he's been, uh, uh, he was in a team called uh, the Four Horsemen. But oh, okay. th- that sounds familiar. Yeah, yeah. With like uh, Ar- Arn Anderson's maybe the other big name for the group. Sting was in that group for a little bit. Right. Um, but he had a second group. That I was watching a little bit of this weekend. Uh, group he had with Triple H, uh, Batista from Guardians of the Galaxy, right, and mm-hmm. uh, Randy Orton, RKO out of nowhere. Yeah. And the group was called Evolution, which I gotta say is an amazing word to use when describing this miniseries. It's a very natural evolution of a Christmas Carol. How you doing, wow. John? Wow, that was great. Uh, welcome to Jacob Marley is Dead. This is a uh... This is a podcast about, uh, occasionally, I guess, Ric Flair, but mostly about A Christmas Carol. Uh, I'm your host, John. And I'm his sidekick, Jimmy. And I promise, once in a while, there will be more talk about Ric Flair. Woo! There we go. That mic's working now. Oh yeah, yeah, definitely, (laughs) definitely. We've had a we've had an an up and down experience. getting this podcast started today much like i would say probably our viewing experience of this miniseries at this point i mean i you're not wrong but i can't say i didn't enjoy myself it's just it's 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 a hard thing to watch when you are in it as deep as we are but i i'm not i'm not taking back what i said this is an evolution of a christmas carol this is we know what the text is we know what the message is let's evolve the text but keep the message the same to get across the same point. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I will say this is, so what we are watching is a Christmas Carol, uh, 2019, which is, um, well, it's not called a Christmas Carol 2019. It was released in 2019. Uh, it was a, a mini series produced by the BBC in association with FX written by Stephen Knight, who wrote, uh, Peaky Blinders and Eastern Promises, and produced by Tom Hardley, uh, Stephen Knight, Ridley Scott, and several other people who don't have like that much of a name um, comparatively. Um, and it's a three-part miniseries. So for today's episode, all we watched was the first episode, which is about an hour. 
mm-hmm. um, right almost like an hour exactly. About an hour. It's like a basic t- television hour show. Like yeah. I mean, maybe a little bit longer. Maybe they have. I mean, it's FX. I think yeah. they're kind of loose sometimes with their run times because they yeah. they know what they're doing. It's a cable network. They don't have to be confined by the forty two minutes or forty eight minutes or whatever it is. They can just do whatever the heck they want. Right, exactly. Um, it is uh, heralded as a darker take on the story, which is a phrase that kind of makes me want to puke a little bit most of the time when I hear it, especially in 2019, when I feel like we've kind of done that at this point. Like, we've done the dark version of everything. Yeah, I didn't know this Christmas Carol was set in the DC Cinematic Universe. Like, oh. so, like, I didn't know it was, like, all gritty and grimy and grimy. Oh, my gosh. All the Snyder Snyder bros are going to be writing us emails. Forget that. Release the Schumacher cut. I want the original version of Batman (laughs) Forever. That thing looks awesome. Have you you looked into that? Oh, my gosh. It's deep. Because I've always said, what have I always said about Batman Forever? It's one of the best screenplays ever for a Batman movie. And hot dang, apparently there's a cut out there that justifies my opinion of that. Woo! Uh, Yeah, it's a good good time to be Jimmy. Um, (laughs) Yeah. It's always a good time to be Jimmy. <laughs> so confession time for everybody who's listening to this podcast and who has ever looked at our podcast and thought, why on earth are they doing that? This miniseries is the reason this podcast exists. It, it is the reason because I watched this last Christmas, um, you know, height of the height of the pandemic with nothing better to do. And I'm a huge Guy Pierce fan. I think he doesn't get enough work. Um, I, I really like you know, things that I've seen him in. And I thought, oh, him as Scrooge is a really interesting idea. I wonder what that's all about. And then I watched this. And after I got through all three hours or so of this mini series, I sat back and was like, I need to talk about this. And the (laughs) only context in which I could figure out and a good excuse to talk about this was to talk about in the context of every Christmas Carol that's ever existed, because it's something. It really is. Yeah, this is definitely not like playing it safe at all. Not you know, not a, not a, not like some sort of cash grab. There is something going on with this version. They are yeah. they are they are saying something. Okay, and I gotta say, it is remarkable to see somebody really put this much effort into a Christmas Carol. They they nobody is phoning it in. They are giving a hundred percent. And it's a very unique take. And I, and I got a lot of feelings. And, and uh, so just for our listeners, Jimmy has only seen the first hour of this thing. So it, it's currently you can watch it as like a three hour movie on uh, Hulu. Mm. And um, for our purposes, because I kind of wanted what happens to be a surprise week to week as we cover this, um, I only told Jimmy watch the first hour. So Jimmy doesn't if you've seen this, Jimmy doesn't know anything that happens after the first chapter of this thing. Yeah. And I'm going to try to keep it that way because this is on you now. You have to be not a spoiler here. okay? like you got to. Because I got, I have theories. I have things. There's actual intrigue here because it's there are little things that are just slight changes and i'm like oh me meow we got something going on here yeah this is this this first chapter is kind of chekhov's armory (laughs) (laughs) it's uh this is is like chekhov's hunting room because there are a lot of guns hung up on walls for us to consider um i will also say i will say this just to like sweeten the pot of this podcast a little bit this is the most faithful chapter of the three to the original story 
Well, John, you didn't need to tell me that, but damn, I'm worried now because it, it, we'll get into it, but this took some liberties in certain spots like this. Uh, yeah. And those liberties will continue to kind of like spiral and evolve. So like the little liberties that are taken in this chapter are going to become huge, giant liberties down the road. All right. Um, our episode next week is going to be a hell of a thing. That's all I'm going to say. Oh, God. Um, oh, so. Man. Uh, to give some context we are watching uh chapter one of a christmas carol the human beast um yeah this is uh sort of gonna cover um uh up until the end of of the marley sequence for what it's worth yeah like we don't it's our normal breaking point of a two-parter episode kind of we just don't get the ghost of christmas uh pass here but we we get a ton of other stuff that we'll get into like yeah Brand new scenes, new interpretations of stuff like this is like I said, they're taking chances and making choices. And that's that's what makes something art and something worth watching. Well, I think, James, we should talk about it. Hell yeah. This is Jacob Marley is dead and we are watching A Christmas Carol, Chapter One, The Human Beast. In those ships, all three on Christmas Day, on Christmas Day, and what was in those ships, all three on Christmas Day in the morning? It is London, 1843, Christmas Eve, as we are helpfully told by a black screen with some some sketchy looking white font on it and that is the first screen of the actual piece but the first screen i took note of was the tvma screen i was like okay there's gonna be something going on here that i'm not expecting i and what i got is kind of what i was thinking i was gonna get but i don't like seeing my warning labels before these because the last time we did that we got a very, very bad version of A Christmas Carol from 2020, okay? So yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm being very uh, – anytime I see one, I got a little like, ah, going on. How incredible is it that like almost within a year of each other, we we have produced like the the highest production quality Christmas Carol, which is this, yeah. and the lowest production quality Christmas Carol yeah. within a year of each other? Well, and, and it, it's just what – it's what money, first and foremost, yeah. can't deny yeah. that. Money, creativity – and uh work ethic can produce like i mean the crew on this the set designs the costumes and we'll get into it perfect perfect period piece if it were if this were like a straight up uh adaptation instead of what it is i feel like it would be like one of the best christmas carols ever like it would be the one to beat i mean yeah it it is and i i kind of thought that what was originally was going to happen here because we open up and it's so it says christmas eve and then it says the eve of christmas eve is that what it said there yeah Mm -hmm. so the word comes in you're like okay so the 23rd all right not quite where we normally start but we get a very simple shot of a a grave a gravestone and i'm like oh they're gonna show marley is dead they're gonna establish right away marley is dead and that's a great way to start you know you don't you can't marley is dead jacob marley is dead is great in the book when you have a narrator going for it. It's kind of hard to work in there without the narrator. So how you do it? Visually, show, don't tell. Yeah. And we're about to see a lot of stuff. <laughs> yeah. 
They're yeah, going to show so, us a lot much. So at this point, in case you had any questions about uh, the tone of what you're about to watch, <laughs> the opening shot is like a, a close-up on this croaking raven who flies away. And then this, like, this you know, poor London teenager with a huge scar across his face hobbles across a graveyard to take a vengeful piss on Jacob Marley's grave and call him a skinflint old bastard. And I'm like, ah, okay, this is this kind of movie. You love to see it happen. Grim, dark, quote unquote, historically accurate. You love to see it happen, John. It's fan flippantastic. It's, I was like, okay, this is where we're going, but we are like, we are showing, not no pun intended, with the actual scar on the face, but we're seeing the scars of what these men do, yeah. and that is a continuing theme. And I'm like, yeah. yes, real context. What 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 is this doing to the world? Yeah, this also is like this this film's almost immediate divorce from subtlety. It's not <laughs> subtle. <laughs> N- it's none of dark- what's going to happen is subtle. It's almost like dark camp in a way. Like it's absurd, yeah. but it's because it's so presented in the normal sense of what a dickens adaptation would be like like if you're going off the novella mainly yeah, this is definitely. this is like you said visually what you want but putting it with like these like oi and like you know uh, take a uh, have a drink you skin flint like by the way always a fan of skin flint being used one of my yeah. favorite words um that was my brother's warcraft character for a while skin flint <laughs> Good name, right? Like for yeah, an evil, yeah. like assassin character. Yeah. I thought that was solid. Not the uh, first time we've used that word on this podcast. No, um, it won't be the last. And so, yeah. So after this kid pees on the grave, and you're like, oh, okay, like Jacob Marley's dead, and people come pee on his grave because that's you know what you do to the graves of people who are terrible. Um, yep. This film is like, oh, we're not done, and then it pans down through the ground, and we see Jacob Marley inside the coffin. Um, it's Stephen Graham. Kind of, kind of playing, playing a, a Jacob Marley against type, but I really like him in this role. I love Stephen Graham. Anything I've seen him in, he's amazing. He's just he owns the space that he needs to own in a role, right? Yeah. Like he, he's he's not too big, he's not too small, but you always notice him, and he always adds to it. Yeah. From from uh, Gangs of New York to yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Boardwalk Empire to um, just. Oh god, everything he's been in. He's an amazing yeah. actor and uh, I love to see him. Love to see him here. And I and I and I, I don't envy him what he had to go through in this scene because what it what was said to be or what it was, that looked uncomfortable as all hell. Yeah. So he's yeah, he's he's in his coffin and uh he's he's got these coins on his eyes which are going to become kind of important as this as this episode goes on. Um and then we see the the this kid's pee like drip down on his face and he wakes up, which I found very alarming the first time I watched it. I was like, oh, God, he's awake. What is happening here? Yeah. And um, I had two things on this moment. Right. One, I can get into a little bit later, but I'll just establish here. Don't like the fact he's not in the chains. That being yeah, said, yeah. we'll move on from there for now. Yeah. The other part, it's like. Holy crap, what a great way to bring in the afterlife immediately. Like, if you're yeah. going to do that, scare the audience. Because this is supposed to be a ghost story. This is supposed to be scary. And I was, you were scared. I was scared. Like, it was awesome. Yeah. And he's basically complaining that he can't rest in peace. That there's no, there's no rest for him in this coffin. He's just awake. 
feeling people peeing on him, unable to. And what's interesting about this is we're going to get a little bit more of like the Christmas Carol cosmology in this. Like we're going to mm. see glimpses of what the the kind of realm of these spirits looks like. Okay. And we're going to see sort of like layers. So right now, Jacob Marley's in this layer of he's a, a unrepentant dead person and he's not allowed rest. So he's just has spent a year. He's only been dead a year. We'll find out. He spent a year awake in his coffin, crying out for some kind of reprieve and just crying out for rest and death, but he can't have it. Yeah. there And I already sense like, oh, they're going the redemption way, which we actually haven't seen yet. Yeah. But I knew it was out there in a few versions. Like I just, not even that I had concrete evidence, but like you just, you've seen enough of like cho- bad choices, int- sometimes interesting choices, but choices made that it's like, that's going to be one time they do that. One yeah. animated version or one really high quality version is going to go with the Marley's redemption somehow. And I think the fact that they don't, they're not doing a, a Christian afterlife in this right he's not in like at least as far as we can tell it seems like it seems like they're doing something a little bit more pagan i I was gonna i was gonna say pagan like this this is this is closer to like a old school like pre-roman you know colonization of uh of london and england like it's like this is very celtic and some of it's uh like like just all over the uk like just the small like pagan his tri- tribal history like coming together to form this and almost kind of like kind of a feel for like Germany's aspect of Christmas like just a hint of it there yeah which is there's, some, which, there's gonna be some Krampusy stuff later on wh- right which was much of which was big at the time yeah so like yeah. there's oh boy oh no I'm worried now for episode two <laughs> um so. Uh, after after this uh, intro to Marley, we actually meet the Cratchits before we meet Scrooge, right? So we're in a church. The, the Cratchits are attending a church service, and we actually are focused on Mrs. Cratchit first. Um, Mrs. Cratchit is there uh, with Tim and Belinda, their two children. So Bob and, and um, Mrs. Cratchit only have Mary, I think it is. Mary Cratchit only have two children in this version. Um, I, I wasn't and they are an it. interracial couple. Oh, that's I wasn't against that either, but I was I wasn't against the shorting of the children in the in the movie. I think simplicity for the audience. They're really going to give an emphasis to the kids this time. So, like, just make it simple. You know, Tiny Tim's got a big sister taking care of them. And you know what? The interracial thing didn't mind me either way. Like, I was like, I was like, I was like, maybe it won't like it it was probably it was happening at the time. Of course it was. So, like, yeah, let's go with it. And I loved it. I've seen some reviews. I was reading the the Rotten Tomatoes audience reviews because I hate myself and want to feel miserable. And oh, uh, a lot of, you know, a lot of the negative review, it does, this doesn't have a great score on Rotten Tomatoes. It's pretty middling for critics and audience, but a lot of, there were a lot of people who rated it very low and, and then were like, it's too like liberal and woke. And a lot of that was focused on this interracial relationship. So I literally went and looked this up because I know like, Great Britain as as a nation is a uh has a long history of being uh colonialist bootlicking terrible people when it comes to race but um it was not actually uncommon for there to be interracial marriages at this point in history in England it wasn't super common but it was not uncommon and that was enough for me to be like okay uh not woke just historically accurate nice 
I'm a wrestling fan, John, right? I am a guy who watches a show that's whole premise is we are presenting a fake form of sports, sports entertainment, as some have called it, right? Yeah. I just need a little justification for why things happen, right? And it's historically accurate. There were people who had these relationships. So let's go with yeah. it. Let's get yeah. some more diversity in here. Let's go. I will. Um, the Mrs. Cratchit's race is going to come up in a way in in subsequent episodes not to give something away but i think it's worth talking about now while we're having this conversation and we're gonna have to talk about that when it happens and i think also reach out to some of our audience because as two you know cisgendered white guys what are you talking about it might be (laughs) it might be worth having some outside input on this what our opinion's the best one right john come on now oh that's getting cut out of this episode i'm joking Um, (laughs) on all hell and you know that audience like no honestly yeah please Text, text us. We want more voices, and we, like, we're not the authority here on this topic. Okay, yeah. we're not claiming yeah. to be. Yeah, um, I have a strong academic curiosity in what people think about what's going to happen later on. Anyway, um, right. I'm nervous. <laughs> so the Cratchits. Um, this scene kind of establishes that you know Bob is sort of a slave to his job. He gets invited to to go to something by some guy at the church after the service, and they're basically like, "Nah, he's got to work Christmas Eve. Like, sorry, he can't do it." Um, yeah, it's uh, it's pretty. It's pretty like the guy. I I feel like, and I think they say like they say at the end of the scene, like he's like, "Oh, why why could you do it? What your boss won't let you have the day off? What's going on? Come on, come on, come on." He works for Ebenezer Scrooge and he says it. Oh, old scratch. Yeah. Well, that's that. And he just yeah. kind of leaves. And she goes, that's that. Like they've had, like he's forgotten this conversation every Christmas. Yeah. And he just keep like, I don't know if that's what's happening, but she's had that conversation at least multiple times with people where Bob's life has been drastically affected and altered by having to work for definitely. Scrooge. Definitely. Um, we also get our first look at Tiny Tim in the sequence who, so, and, and in a, in a, I think this is like a really good move that they do. And this, this series will suffer from a lack of restraint when it comes to choices like this later on. But Tiny Tim is not just like a sickly small kid. Tiny Tim is an actual little person. Totally. And yeah. I was, I was all in. I was like, yeah. first of all, who, what's the name of the actor who plays Tiny Tim? Oh, I don't, I don't have it up in front of me, but he is very, very good. Tiny Tim is amazing. There is this uh, charm, uh, like a twinkle in the eye type of deal. Yeah, he's he's kind a little of bit jokester. mischievous. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And like, there's just any interaction he has with his family is adorable and awesome. And but re- but he's a fully developed character like yeah. it's not just a one note tiny tim tiny tim in this is i mean it could be the best version honestly it's yeah. it's pretty spot on for what the role should be every time yeah yeah i like it there's definitely a, a like a good balance to it um and like i said this this is going to often stray into the territory of someone had an idea that's like, what if this, but it's the darkest possible version. And I think the, one of the places where that does work is like, what if tiny Tim isn't just a sickly kid? What if he's actually like a sickly little person? Like what if he's someone who would be very hard for his family to take care of at that time with like a lack of access to resources and stuff. It puts a lot more pressure on the Cratchits. Oh um, yeah. And it makes the character feel much more vulnerable and not to say that like little people, 
people are more vulnerable than everybody oh. else. But in Victorian London, I have to imagine they would have been. It would have been a hard life. I mean, Victorian London was a hard life for everybody. But if you had anything that was, you know, making life difficult for you, it was doubled. It was tripled. So, like, I, I you instantly feel for the guy and you feel for the and for the kid and you want to help Tim here. And you but. I, I'm, I don't know what we're going to get with Scrooge. I don't know what we're going to get. But my God, if Scrooge doesn't have the best emotional breakdown and falls in love with this kid immediately, there is something very, very wrong with this, with this. Okay. I'm, I'm just, that's Jimmy's prediction number one or anticipation. Like I need that to happen because, and look, they could change a lot of different things. They can make a lot of weird subplots, but that moment, I need a window. I need the Cratchits and I need Scrooge taking it all in. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, so speaking of Scrooge, let's get into that because I think our intro to Scrooge is really good, like visually and, and for a lot of other reasons. So, so Guy Pierce plays Scrooge. Um, I think this is, this is largely speaking a great casting choice. There's stuff that's going to happen later on that makes me think, he was cast for a very specific reason and there are things that are going to fall short, but I don't want to, I'm trying not to bury the lead too much. Um, in terms of his, his approach to Scrooge at this point. Awesome. Really oh, good. This is one of the best visual intros of Scrooge ever. Yeah. I mean, it's original. Let's go. Let's give credit where credit's due to find an original way to give Scrooge an introduction. We start with a pan in of Marley and Scrooge's uh, store, right? And yeah. there's frost over the windows. And from the inside, we just see approaching Scrooge. And the heat melts. Away. He's got a candle in his hand, right? Yeah. And, mm-hmm. and the candle and his, the heat in his face make a perfect like little opening, like an oval for his face. And you just get a natural, a practical effect fade in. Beautiful. Those are the moments that we're talking about when we say yeah. this is a, the, one of the best productions yeah. for a Christmas Carol ever. Like cinematically, that's amazing. Like that's yeah. just this has a ball. lot of really great like the cinematography in this. Sometimes it's just like basic TV cinematography, but it definitely has a lot of like really well framed shots and um and pacing. The fact yeah. that this is a miniseries, they're giving it time, and they're yeah. given we're getting a lot of time with our Scrooge here. But our first like thirty seconds is just to be like, you know who this is. This is like, this is a myth. This is as big as Santa Claus to a lot of people. Yeah. Scrooge. And um, like Santa Claus, he might get his own holiday, but we'll get into that in a second. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so this, let's talk about characterization here because this is a very meticulous, fastidious Scrooge. Mm. He is, um, the first thing we really see him do is like counting out how many lumps of coal he's going to let Cratchit have. And he, and he usually gives like out three, but on Christmas, this Christmas day, he decides he's going to give out one more. And that fourth lump of coal, like stains the cuff of his shirt. And the whole time he's kind of quietly counting and monologuing to himself. Like, Oh, that smudge is for the fourth from the fourth one, a blemish because of generosity. This is what I get for like, you know, doing all this stuff. Um, it's it is uh a fascinating portrayal of this character it's 
you know, I don't want to get into trying to give it a definition for what's going on with Scrooge. I'm not, yeah. you know, somebody qualified to do that. Right. No diagnoses, but. But my God, there is something going on with this guy where counting is life and yeah. counting is everything. And it's established from this first moment, right? And it's our first very, very, very small save the cat moment with just one extra lump. But mm-hmm. he immediately regrets it, like you say. And that is just to the point where he goes and like changes his shirt because he can't right. handle having that little smudge on his on his cuff. And that's where it's like all of his nice stuff. It seems like is at like there. Like he has that. Like, like he's got like three or four shirts to change into different like cloths to wash, wipe his hands with wa- fresh water to keep washing them all yeah. day long. This guy has a lot of thoughts going on, a lot of concerns, and he processes them by counting them, by counting yeah. the time in relationship to them. And giving um, the the amount of everything has an amount and a value, right? And of course, when you consider that and consider all what he's going on, he naturally went into what he's doing now as a yeah. money collector. Yeah, Scrooge. Um, or I'm sorry, Bob shows up. Um, our Bob Cratchit, very different take on Bob Cratchit as well. This is not. This is not what you usually expect. <sighs> We got hot takes Bob Cratchit coming at us. Oh my god, this guy's got some moxie. This guy Yeah. It kind of seems like he's at his wits' end. It feels like everyone in this is at their wits' end with Scrooge or the yeah. situation they're in. And Bob has got I mean, we've already established his family, right? So we already have sympathy for him. And now we we ha- we like this Bob Cratchit and we're going to cheer for him and we know what we're dealing with as Scrooge. So we've already created these great antagonists for each other. Like they're going to, yeah. they're, they're going to, it is a, it is a, a, a passive aggressive, almost to the point of actively aggressive working relationship between these two. Um, and this, this episode jumps back and forth a lot because we are going to be jumping back to like stuff with Marley. We get a lot of stuff going on with Marley before he shows up to haunt Scrooge in this, which mm-hmm. is a thing. And we'll talk about it. Oh yeah. Um, so, so there's a lot of scenes kind of flashing back and forth, but um, Bob is like outwardly contemptuous of Scrooge. He doesn't really hide it. He dislikes Scrooge. Scrooge clearly dislikes Bob, or at least doesn't know how to connect with or relate to Bob in any way. Um, he knows Bob doesn't like him and he doesn't like when people are lying to him. Yeah. And he feels like Bob is constantly lying to him, which leads into how he feels about the holiday. Yeah. Yeah. And he basically, so he has this monologue talking about how Christmas is a time for people who are basically selfish animals to pretend to be altruistic for one day of the year. And then he's like, what if we had the opposite? Like, what if it was altruism all year? And then one day of the year, people could act like they really felt. Well, he gives this because Bob's ink is frozen, right? Right. And Bob now has to make what? Three letters. uh, Yeah. Bob's job is basically like he's the photocopier. Which, you know what? That was a trade and that was a job back yeah. then. That was something you had to do because you had multiple people who needed to see, receive the same exact type of information and you couldn't afford a printing press for something like that and manage it. So you had to have a copier and that's a believable job for Bob to fill. Yeah. yeah. And Bob's ink is frozen because the place is always freaking freezing because he only puts on average three things of coal. But today's the fourth one because there's no reason for it to be a fourth one. But there is a reason for it to be a fourth one because you're not completely lost, Scrooge. But we'll get into that. 
And Scrooge needs him to do this. So he brings out his ink. And he's like, ooh, a Christmas, kind of a Christmas present. And that just gets Scrooge's motor turning. Like, yeah. Yes. And, but if it was a real present, I would have wrapped it up to increase the value, even though it was just what it was. And I've told you of all the ink bottles in the world that this one was just for you. And he's like, he, he's like, no, there's, I, I'm not giving you a Christmas present. Don't throw that at me. I hate this day. And he goes to the end to his monologue then. Yeah. Yeah. And it's a deeply like rational and cynical worldview. Um, we also get this. So Bob goes off to copy these letters and then we have Scrooge sort of doing this like OCD, like accounting of the behavior in the street, counting like how many seconds he can hear like the, the bone and rag man go by. Um, not, not too long after though, Bob throws what the monologue was back at Scrooge's face and said, you know what? You know, if you, you ever, is this before it? Am I screwing it up or no, it's, it's like around here. There's just, there's a lot of stuff flying around in this. Oh no, it's, there's a, yeah, friends, there's a lot of Bob and Scrooge here. So if we get the order wrong a little bit, please be forgiving. But I, but Bob's like every day we go around being nice to each other, a little bit nicer, a little bit this and that. And for what? And then, he, uh, you know, what if we flipped it? What if for the other 364 days we were extremely nice, but then for one day we could tell each other off and how we really feel and all of that stuff? And Bob's like, yeah, we can call it Scrooge Day in tribute to the man <laughs> who named it, of course. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, oh, man, that's great. Uh yeah, this is a really sad. This is a this is a sassy, angry Bob Cratchit. Um, we get our first like real crunchy f word here. <laughs> yeah, this 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 Scrooge curses, and a lot of other people in this are dropping the f bomb around, which is fun. Hey, um, FX baby, they got they 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 just have to tone the volume down a little bit because the sensors are listening. Then on right, the DVD, right. crunch that volume back up. Yeah, rah, yeah. Rah, rah. It definitely has that vibe though of like grim, dark. We're trying to be historically accurate. People would have said the F word, and it's like okay, okay. I um, mean, look, they wouldn't have been saying the F word, but they would have been using the F word of their day. They would sure. have they would have had some sort of curse word. I, that think, they would I be- think the Victorians had the F word. I'm not putting that on anybody. Then. I'm not going to get cur- called out by a historian. But yeah. I mean, this it, like De- Deadwood, like they were speaking in very like Shakespearean versions of like profanity in that here, like just because they wanted you to be in the period in a way that you could kind of get it. But, yeah, you know, yeah. Uh, you know, Bob goes away to there's this whole exchange happening about like Bob wants to leave an hour early and Scrooge is kind of making like uh, uh, vindictive busy work for him to do so that he can't leave early. But like Bob is doing his work really super well and really super fast. And Scrooge is like, you're doing that because you hate me. Like you're working well and doing your job well because you hate me. And it's such a miserable he's such a miserable person, which is Guy Pierce. Like Guy Pierce does miserable slimy person really super well oh yeah guy pierce but i think that's so sorry about guy pierce i don't know nothing about you but um well it's the thing is he was supposed to leave today at three that was the original yeah. plan but i think he made reference to the fourth thing of coal and was like today three became four and then of course scrooge was like all right you're gonna try to make me seem like i like you you're yeah. working until four again because three did become four yeah and yeah. Yeah, and, like, don't get smart. Yeah, don't get smart. I I got you, and that's that's a big part of this relationship that we'll get into. Bob has got nowhere to go, right? So he's just trapped here with Scrooge. 
So Scrooge talks to himself a lot in this. And and what we come to find is when he's talking to himself and when he's doing all this counting, what he's actually doing is talking to Marley. So he's he's or he is speaking to like the the empty chair where Marley used to sit across from him in the counting house. Um so presumably I guess he must have just done this when Marley was around and now, you know, Marley's gone but he's still there talking to him. Yeah, and I can tell you from something later on coming, Marley didn't like it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm getting a very um, big Marley's not Scrooge's best friend vibe from this. <laughs> yeah. Um and it's it's interesting because uh you know, he kind of hopes that he's resting peacefully, right? Since he's not there. And then we flash back to Marley who's still in the coffin howling for uh howling for mercy and talking about how he's repented, he's done all these things, whatever spirits, whatever it is that runs this this place, let me out. Um and then some stuff happens. So our I would say our first big change from yeah, the big from the, departure about to happen. Right. So Marley like falls into hell or purgatory, right? Right. So we see this bell ringing. Like he hears it and the bell says um the bell has inscribed on it hope and longing purgatory England. And his coffin kind of swings down and there's this big burly blacksmith guy down there who's like working in this sort of you know, reddish, smoky forge purgatory space. There's chains hanging everywhere. Not quite unlike like the boiler room from the, uh, you know, uh, Nightmare on Elm Street's movie, but definitely a higher, totally, but yeah. higher yeah. quality, like really yeah. like high quality, like, like really Scott did this or something. Like it's yeah. vi- which he did. He worked on well, this he did, a little. Yeah. <laughs> so like, yeah, this definitely does feel like a, like, actually, you know what it really feels like legend. Yeah. Mm-hmm. like that yeah. like like the lord darkness's place like this is like the fires in the background and there's great shadow filling the space and yeah. you got the silhouette of the blacksmith and look i don't necessarily like the change that's about to come but the visual i am all here for yeah yeah <laughs> so uh this blacksmith pulls marley out of the coffin and then he basically tells him that he died in one of the scrooge and marley workshops so scrooge and marley in this own like a lot of factories and workshops but they run them really cheap so people get hurt we're gonna come to find um and basically what this guy has done is is has he says he's taken every person who died and forged them into a link in this chain that marley's now gonna have to wear right so it's and i don't know if he means that literally or if each link like represents whatever right um this this marley and what he basically tells marley is like you've chosen penitence and someone was listening so i guess they're gonna have a job for you and and because of because marley has chosen um that he wants um to repent for whatever reason now a year later they've said okay here's what you're gonna do and they give him i really like the design of this chain it's like a full body harness with the with the tail to drag so he's really like loaded down yeah but it's not enough chain it's not enough chain i'm look and look this is me this is there are gonna be two jimmies on this review yeah okay the Jimmy who's just watching this without any fandom or con uh, or connection with the original or any of the adaptations. And then there's the Jimmy who's been doing a podcast called Jacob Marley is dead. All right. Yeah. My Marley chains need to be almost infinite, like a huge amount of chains dangling from the ceiling. You don't see all of them in the room. Like 
And because then when he says, and he doesn't say this because it's not what's going on here, that the your chain is doubly long, right? No pun again. There is weight to that statement. Like, oh yeah. my God, how bad is Scrooge? And what can he do to save himself from this fate? Here, it's just, I didn't like you, so I made these chains. That side of Jimmy has that feeling. You're right, though. Well, I don't, I don't really think cool it's, I don't visual, think it's this guy's individual choice. Like, he's he seems to be, he's been given, I think because he's a victim, he's been given the opportunity to be the one who, like, makes this chain to put it on Marley. It's like, in the afterlife, his, his reward is he gets to be the Punisher, kind of. <sighs> Look, I'm... I would much rather, just saying, chain them out aside, that this would just be another spirit we have never met before. Yeah. Like, this is, if you're not doing Marley in uh, the afterlife before these events, right? That this is, all right, you want to repent, put these on. And I've been making them for you since, you know, since I made this one when you did, like, that'd be a great, like, give that option. Like, say what each chain is, yeah. right? And not just say, these are all the people you killed, which is yeah. a simple thing to say, in a way. Like, I mean, that's simple, but, like, it's easy to, like, okay, one per- dead person, one this. This is a mother. She had no husband. She was by herself with three kids, and you threw her out, and her, her children ended up in the workhouses, and... They grew up and the da 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 and just a thing after thing and just this chain and then he never stops and he overlaps his thing like that's what that's what I would have liked if it was just based on my fandom of a Christmas Carol. Sure. Still great visual, yeah. great setting for what's yeah. going on. And this is so there Marley and Scrooge's sins in this are different than they are normally because Marley and Scrooge are not money lenders in this; they are um, industrialists. So, so, and that's a, it, that's like the big change to kind of to oh, make okay. their effect more direct on the world. So it's like, here's the people, the lives that you ended and the people that you hurt specifically with this. But either way, I, we're going to talk much more about that in the next episode. Oh, great. <laughs> um, <laughs> the next shot we see of Marley after he's told um, that he has a chance to, to make uh, penance is him getting dragged through Tim Burton's Christmas tree farm behind a horse and carriage by these chains. It's this dark kind of infinite field of, of decrepit looking Christmas trees. Um, With presents around them. We'll see in a second. Like it's there. It's just, it's an eerie feeling. It's not, it's not quite right because it's not so Christmassy that it's cute and pleasant in the season. And it's just terrifying enough, but not too scary to be over the top. It's like yeah. surreal. Yeah. Um, so we flash back to Scrooge at this point. Um, and this is kind of where he's found like some, he he's making Cratchit copy these letters that Scrooge is like complaining about the noise in the street. I almost get the impression that the noise in the street makes Scrooge anxious and that the counting it is like keeping him calm. Do you Something- get that vibe? Well, there's so- clearly something's not quite right with Scrooge. As, yeah, there's and, some and, kind of trauma with him. Right. As other characters will say later on, something has happened to Scrooge. That's that's my number one, I mean, seal of approval. Come on, how could it not be this? Something has happened to Scrooge in his life that is like everything else is altered because of this one thing, right? Yeah. So 
He is, the noise puts him on edge. The not having somebody to confide in, talk to has put him on edge. Probably has made his relationship with Bob even worse because of yeah. it. Yeah. Like, so just everything is getting ramped up. And it's one year after Marley's death. Not yeah. seven years, which, you know, seven years is a, just a number that was chosen. But one year, people remember one year anniversaries. People yeah. build up one year anniversaries. And that is what's happening here with um, with Scrooge. It's like it's the one year anniversary of his only friend. Yeah. I feel like if if you didn't see all the Marley stuff where Scrooge isn't involved, you could almost make the argument that this is definitely just like Scrooge is a schizophrenic having this experience or having like a psychotic break because of the way this is built up. There's even a moment here where like the rag and bone man like bangs on his window and calls him a bastard. And it feels very much like that's just something he's hallucinating. The way it's filmed really makes me feel like we're not, we're supposed to look at that and be like that may or may not have actually happened, or it might just be Scrooge's like fear and anxiety. Right. Without the afterlife, the spiritual realm stuff, this is a, this was a great candidate for a moment there of being like, dream dream i'm always fighting for that version this is very much not a dream version this is the spirit the spiritual is there and marley says as much later on (laughs) yeah um so there's this exchange here between bob and scrooge that i think is so close to actually being really good but it is just a little too heavy-handed for me where like they're basically just angrily discussing their philosophy at each other in hushed overly dramatic tones Mm. and i feel like it gets to the point where i'm like yeah bob doesn't like scrooge but he would not actually say these things it doesn't it doesn't feel accurate it feels because there's he's kind of talking about like scrooge is giving bob a hard time about wanting to leave early and saying like do you understand your responsibilities or your position or whatever and bob basically comes at him with like let me describe the plight of the poor victorian person and then i'm very aware of my situation and it feels very much like we're trying to give information to the audience not tell not like reveal a truth in these characters i found it i found it was like watching it again especially and knowing where this is going to go i'm like yeah okay Stephen knight i get it I get what you're trying to do. You don't need to have them say every thought they're thinking out loud. I don't think it's so much that. I mean, it's there clearly that he's trying to make it out of the play. I think it's a problem with us and our heroes. Yeah. I think we can't have heroes be any other way than badass. Stick it to the man. We've got to have our heroes always be the one to say the thing. And look, could I believe Bob could get to this point? Yes. Bob Cratchit could very much get to this point. Um, should Bob Cratchit get to this point? No. Yeah. Okay. Bob Cratchit, what should happen? And it kind of does when he has to write the extra letters to the mayor of London in a moment. Mm-hmm. He, um, there's a great wide shot of Scrooge's office and Marley's office. That's where you have that. Yeah. You can have, uh, there's kind of this like the look of like not being defeated but just the toil of his life right yeah like what his life is how hard it is you could have that but you could also i'm not against this bob one side scrooge the other scrooge is writing away at something and bob just screaming through the wall right or something like that or just he he by saying the stakes it makes his speech even that much more dangerous Yeah. And I wonder if, like, he's not getting off on Christmas, right? 
Yes, he does. Okay, because they don't. It sounds like he had didn't get the day off. Maybe they were just talking about Christmas Eve. But yeah. okay, yeah. but so he is getting Christmas Day off. But like he's this close to finding a way to get out of this job. Like he has to, or he's going to have a breakdown. And yeah, I think my issue is anytime I'm watching something and I can see this is the screenwriter with with enough pedigree for no one to tell him no, just regurgitating philosophy and not doing something that's like that feels true to the characters in the moment that's always where my little alarm bell goes off i'm like this is pretentious but like there's so much other stuff that we can talk about related to that well yeah and it before what it is it's well performed I yeah mean, definitely and, and i think that covers a multitude of sins all of the acting in this is top notch and it covers places where the script is kind of Right, because you get the sense that the people here came to play. They came to yeah. play and work and get like, – this is top-notch, and they don't want to screw it up. So they're going to sell and commit to everything that's been written, even if it's a little, you know, I don't want to say hokey, but, like, it's definitely, like, this is my speech, and I'm going to yeah. be saying it. And yeah. here's my monologue of my philosophy. And, like, yeah. like you said, yeah. like, yeah. My very next note is actually not related to this, but it kind of ties in. It's that this script is terrified that its audience won't get what it's trying to say. So it just has the characters talk about what it's trying to say a lot. And one of those things comes up here because we flash back to Marley again and he looks over and he sees a, a bonfire, like this huge bonfire burning over the tops of these trees. And he has some line that I was like, this is a really dumb line, but he's like, ah, like a light hope and perhaps a chance at salvation or something it's like a really stupid line that no one would say out loud um i think it was uh, he some warmth yeah it was like warmth that perhaps like okay maybe that yeah i think he's like I, he's just cold he's just cold and people say yeah. stupid stuff when they're cold <laughs> but i feel like that's a thing like i can get it like i like i'm not stupid if you have him act cold and then look and see fire and be like oh i'm gonna move towards that i get it Having yeah. the characters say it out loud feels very like handholdy to me. In this scene, Bob, uh, this scene, Jacob Marley sees a fire. Why does he walk to a fire? What will the fire do for him in this moment? That's a sin. Oh, here we go. Jacob Marley is standing and talking to this guy. Wouldn't he be afraid of a stranger? He is in the afterlife. That's a sin. Hey, look at this. It's not the way I wanted to be in the thing. So that's a sin, right? <laughs> that's a sin. That's a sin. That's a sin. And that's how you get 2016. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Oh boy! Oh boy! <sighs> cinema uh, sins. We're coming for cinema blight. sins now. <laughs> cinema sins is a blight on humanity. I am not joking. Yeah, that it's has, pretty bad. They're horrible. Oh man! Well, speaking of uh, of cinema sins, uh, sinner Jacob Marley finds a um, a hobby horse. Yeah, and you know what? It was also nice of them to have uh, Foster Kane's, uh, you know, sled there too. You know, yeah, like yeah, just, yeah it does feel like that. Come it on, like, like I mean, look, the rocking horse is a great visual. It's been used on yeah. a lot of things. It's in one of our favorite plays, Inherit the Wind. Oh yeah, yeah. Like, like I'm always down for a rocking horse because for a long time that was a little kid's like video game. Like, yeah. it it was a personal playground that you, you got to have as a friend and a pet. You know, so yeah, I like well, and. 
don't get too attached because the very next thing that happens. So this this hobby horse presumably like was his when he was a kid, and he's like, oh, like we we won all those races together, and it's like a cute little moment. And then the ghost they run, of they run the derby, whatever. Yeah, they they did. run the derby five times. Yeah, <laughs> and then uh, the the ghost of Christmas something or other rolls in, grabs the hobby horse, and chucks it on the fire, and then is like, uh, uh. I'm the ghost of Christmas past, and I'm here to be real creepy and weird. Okay. (laughs) I thought it was the ghost of Christmas future. Yeah. I could buy the ghost of Christmas present. Yeah. What the hell is Andy Serkis here doing as the ghost of Christmas past, looking like Jesus with a father Christmas coat? So I, I do think that this ghost is intentionally all three of them slapped together. Okay. Because it has elements like the garland on its head is kind of like is a kind of an image from the ghost of Christmas past his beard. He's so he's got like a beard, like a white beard and hair and kind of a furry cloak thing. And that's very like Christmas present. And when we first see him, he's got his hood up and he's doing the pointing finger, which I think absolutely has to be Christmas future. Right. So there's a part of me that thinks this guy is supposed to represent all three of them in combination, but he only calls himself, he identifies himself here as the ghost of Christmas past. And this is the point at which we're like, this is not your grandpa's Christmas Carol, because this is a huge departure. You can do a Christmas Carol with all the curse words, all the great sets. You can do it with all those things. And that would just be a normal Christmas Carol. This is something different. Not even like Ghost of Girlfriend's Past, which is just the same structure but with a different like setting and interpretation, yeah, right? Yeah. Like a different, like entire message. This is, we're going to rework this whole damn piece to fit yeah. our needs. Yeah. But I'm we'll take the original bones and put a whole bunch of different muscle on the it. rags and bones of a Christmas Carol and make it into the same. I, I'm believing the same message of the original, but just in a very different form. Yeah. So this ghost is like, he's a lot. and and, I will say this. I'm a huge Andy Circus fan also. Ooh. Andy Circus is great. And he's very good in this. Um, they've he's given scary. his voice. Yeah, he's scary. They've given his voice like a ton of gravel. And what he basically says is he keeps throwing Christmas trees and things onto this bonfire. And he says he he burns memories. So this is, I guess, is supposed to represent like all of the Christmases. And he's like slowly kind of burning through them. And like, I, it's unclear what the metaphor is. As people die, their interpretation of Christmas and the season goes with it. Sure, like, as things are lost. Like like Marley is dead. Marley yeah. is dead. And this is his Christmas. And maybe these are his Christmas trees and his Christmas memories that are being tossed on it. Or the sure. things that, that are tied to him in the holiday. Or maybe all. And this spirit has to go through tossing every flipping Christmas tree that's ever been. Or at least a symbol of it. But yeah. again, the hobby horse gives us that there is like actual like character to each one of these trees. We saw yeah. Jack in the Box earlier when Marley crashed on the side of the road. These are not just like random gifts. That was somebody's Jack in the Box. So Yeah, they have ornaments, like at least some of them do. Yeah. And ice ornaments too, like something out of Frozen with like uh the moose. Like yeah. there's like yeah. a like there's a lot of like great visual by the way for that movie. But like like there's all like these little it's it's not one interpretation of Christmas. It's a very like pieced together, like 
weird and that's i'm feeling that's going to be everything in this like just a weird like look what we made out of what was there right right um and so what he kind of explains is that like yeah you want to repent but you you are not alone in your sin like you and scrooge are connected right Mm. your sins are bound to those of ebenezer scrooge and if he doesn't repent you're stuck here because you did these things together um which is an interesting that's like an interesting mythos because um even in the text, in the original text, when Scrooge sees the ghosts outside the window, um, some like guilty governments are described as being chained together. So they're almost like bound, which I think is an interesting idea that like they're continuing that notion of Scrooge and Marley being connected because the worst things that they did, they did kind of in business partnership. They were um, a beast of two heads. And yeah. with what? And it's only a year post Marley. So like, it's still all their actions tend to be like probably their joint ventures. So like they're the monster, they're the human beast, the two headed human beast. Yeah. And just cause Marley's dead, their deeds are. And so I, look, if you're going this way, it's perfect justification for Mar- why Marley's got to go and save Scrooge. If he's not yeah. friendly with him, because when the spirit says that that's what he's got to do, Marley's re- reaction is like, well, then you might as well throw me on the freaking fire because I can't yeah, redeem yeah. Scrooge. That guy's the worst. He bleeds ink. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's really good. And I think it's interesting. I, I think that in any other context, I would have said Stephen Graham was kind of a bad casting choice for Marley because he's just... he. But because of what they're doing with Marley, I think it really sells well because he's kind of a desperate, like, like a Marley who is just sort of figuring things out. Right. right, he's not a Marley who's been wandering for years and um, now understands the great truths of the universe that he can no longer participate in, but he can maybe help Scrooge with. There's not a ton of altruism with this Marley. He's definitely still got like selfishness. I mean, he's learning. I mean, to yeah. Marley's credit, throughout this episode, he's learning and like mm-hmm. it's and it's definitely like he's got had a year of his thoughts probably. So he's like, okay, I'm probably here because I was an asshole. Yeah. And then on top of it, what the spirits have done to him so far, a little bit of torture, a little bit of yeah. vision, I bet somehow, like he doesn't quite get it, but he's getting it right. Yeah. yeah. He's and, un- understanding that like the world, the world was bigger than what he made it for himself. And he's our POV for the beginning yeah. of this, mm-hmm. like very much like after he's peed on, we're with him for a lot of like the exposition and like getting it, getting used to what this afterlife's going to be. Cause I got a feeling, John, that this afterlife is going to have a lot more layers to it than what we are used to. Like, there's going to be a lot more going on. But we'll get to my predictions at the end of this episode because I got some. (laughs) Yeah, we'll talk about that. That's actually a really interesting idea. I think we should do that. Um, So so Fred shows up at Scrooge's counting house. Um, Way to go, Fred. Like, if you're – this is an – awesome fred i can't even hide my excitement completely redone scene like the text is not there at all but the intent is 100 percent fred yeah and it's awesome and but it's also like there's like so many things this is raising the stakes and really bringing a lot of family pain into the story because i feel like normally we have a fred show up and he's basically like treating scrooge like he's mostly senile and just being like well you're you're kind of a joke but it would be nice if you came to christmas and if you don't i'll just go make fun of you like whatever come on right and i feel like the friends that we have liked so far have been those ones who are just so gregarious that they rise above anything scrooge can say there's no this is not that there's no rising in this world this world is 100 percent 
like I said, this is in the DCU. Like this is like like this is really dark, like and gritty. And sometimes it's you know it can be pretentious and kind of feel forced. But other times when he comes in here with his last attempt, yeah, he's been coming here year after year after year, inviting his uncle to Christmas dinner. And he has this wonderful, like, he still has a cool, like, little cat and mouse game with him. Like, where he's, like, like uh, he's talking about, like, the season and eating on the day. And, like, they don't have uh, fig, like, either, what, figgy pudding? Is that it? They don't have figgy pudding in, like, January? And he's, like, would you come in January? Yeah. And the yeah. <laughs> way he says that is so sweet. Yeah. And so heartbreaking. Because yeah. there's hope in it. There's one open that, that question, but he knows the answer. And we get the kind of the setup of the importance that Scrooge's sister is going to have in this because he, he basically says, like, my sister, my mother told me before she died, like, forgive my brother. He's in pain. He's in a very he's dealing with a very old pain. Right. Which and you get this look and Guy Pierce, I got to say. You Ooh. want a guy who can do deep emotional pain masked behind like cruel stoicism that's basically like guy pierce's type i feel like <laughs> oh yeah that chin is just doing half the job for him let's yeah. be honest yeah. here, friends like he's just that presence and and that hair in fact marley even talks about him and his stupid effing hair like yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> like like he's a he, he's a put together he's not like you know like uh, like he doesn't have like an over the top costume, but like he's yeah he's a put together Scrooge. Yeah. He's visually interesting, and his face is doing a lot of great little subtle things here. Especially, I got like a nice little TV. Like I sit kind of closer. It's at the end of my bed. Uh, it's it's awesome. Uh, but I like I can really see his face here, and I yeah. can see just like the wrestling. Because when he says, going back to that line, "Would you come in January?" He goes, he fights with it for a second, but he's honest. Yeah. No. And like that was when Fred goes into the pain and he's like, and I'm going to say this to you, uncle Scrooge, because I know it hurts you. Like, I I know you're in pain and I've been trying, but this is my last time. I'm not coming back here. So the, my F you is Merry Christmas. Yeah. I love, there's a moment in the scene where they're going back and forth and he's like, Oh, it's a bird. Well, uh, when you come to this party, it's like a birthday celebration. And Scrooge is like, oh, whose birthday is it? And he's like, oh, my, our Lord Jesus Christ. I know you don't believe in Christmas, but surely you believe in him. And Scrooge is like, no. Like, it's very like, no. Like, why should I? And he kind of does this like Reddit atheist thing of making super pedantic arguments with like little details of the Christmas story in the Bible, which I thought was very funny. Because Scrooge totally would be a Reddit atheist, if right. we're being honest. And is this where he mentions Alibaba? Yeah, he does. Yeah. Yeah, which is a nice little throw in. It's like, yeah, I, I believed I could have believed those stories too, because they're just as, you know, believable. Like it's yeah. like awesome. Okay. We never really get like we never I mean it's probably been hinted at here and there, but like, okay, we got either agnostic or atheist Scrooge. Let's go with it. Let's like yeah. let's yeah. let's look at it. Well and it. it makes sense because he's so he's everything about this Scrooge is about rationality and like being able to measure and count things out and nothing being out of place. So the, the chaos of religious belief just like would not fit within this at all. Numbers are real. Money is real. And he, and, and, 
and like the idea of counting and time and money, those are things he can trust and believe in. And but he's getting to his own breaking point because between what's going on with him and Cratchit today, and even though he doesn't have that big of a relationship with Fred, I gotta believe that that Fred thing is just pushing him closer and closer to that edge. Yeah. Oof. Yeah. Um, so yeah, Fred, Fred leaves after basically giving the ultimatum, like come this year or I'm not coming back. Um, and then we get this, like kind of a couple of like some spooky stuff starts <laughs> happening because, uh, there's like a noise in the chimney and, uh, he keeps hearing like this, like vague murmur of Marley's voice and whether that's in his head or whether it's actually Marley trying to talk to him is unclear until, from the chimney in all this soot drops the two coins that were on Marley's eyes. Right? right. And we know this because Scrooge remembers the dates of the coins that he put on Marley's eyes. Numbers are his life. It's yeah. all about the numbers with the Scrooge. Yeah. And just for frame reference, uh, the, the tokens on the eyes were for the fairy man and the afterlife to take you across. That was kind yeah, of the yeah. idea mm-hmm. there. Like you had to pay to get to the afterlife. And if you didn't have that, which, by the way, what type of screwed up stuff is that? Like, you actually have to pay to die properly. Like, yeah, yeah. Ah, but like, that's 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 neither here nor there. But that's like, well, that was, I was like sh- ancient Greek, and I guess it must just have been like a holdover in because this isn't the only version I've ever seen where they do the coins on the eyes for Marley. I think the Jim Carrey one does too. Did they do it for the Patrick Stewart one? I f- kind of feel like that happened there. I could be wrong, but possibly, possibly. I mean, I, they were definitely talking over his our grave for a while there. But yeah. um, no, like he has the coins and then he looks towards his book. Right. And this is where oh, the yeah. book, he looks towards the book and says, prepare ye. Yeah. Someone's written it in like big letters across all of his, his like neat little lines of numbers and stuff. I kind of read in pirate voice in my head. I think that's how it came <laughs> yeah. up. Prepare ye, matey. You be seeing three ghosts tonight. At the strike of midnight. Yeah. When the bell tolls one. Jacob Marley. That being said, uh, Jeffrey Rush would play a great Jacob Marley. I might have to go back and change my casting, actually. (laughs) Damn. So what's become my company? (laughs) Yeah. 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 Um, Uh, Barbosa, one of the the best characters up until it wasn't one of the best characters. What a shame. What a shame. Um, We will go into those at some point. Yeah, yeah, we will. Um, So there's this business kind of with the clock where like Scrooge is freaking out a little bit because he knows the coins were the ones he put on Marley's eyes. And he's sort of talking to like the Marley who isn't there and rationalizing it. And then um, he sees the prepare ye in the book. And then he looks up at the clock and the clock, it's like 320. But he doesn't want to leave the counting house before four o'clock because he doesn't want to give Christmas the time of day. Right. Well, yeah, because Cratchit just came in right before this, actually, and yeah. like smack dab, like the because he made him write extra letters. He like yeah. he already got the ones done that he was supposed to get done that day. Gave him busy work about the complaints. Now he's like, all right, so what the hell else do I have to do before four o'clock? And after the coins and prepare you moments coming up. He just says, get the hell out of here, Cratchit. Oh, right. Well, no, because th- then there's the kids at the doorstep, right? I totally forgot about that. So, oh, the kids! Oh, my God, you're right! Yeah, so the, so while Bob is writing these letters, and after the coins have fallen out of the chimney, um, Scrooge hears k- Christmas carolers, and he goes up and he's got the coins in his hand. And you have this moment where you're like, oh, is he going to go out and give them coins? And Bob is there literally like, do it, Mr. Scrooge. Give him the coins, which he said way too loud and way too close to Scrooge for Scrooge to not have heard it. But I don't think he's supposed to have heard it. 
either way. Stupid people don't get it. Yeah. Like, yeah. like you don't need to say a damn thing there. Yeah. A hopeful look, a lean in. Yeah. You Focus can even on mouth the coins. It. Like, put the mouth camera it. on the coins. They'll get it. Mouth it. Like, there's just, you, can, you can mouth it. That's fine. Yeah. But yeah. you can't say the damn words. Yeah. He literally just says, do it, Mr. Scrooge. Give them the coins. And I'm like, yeah. I'm not stupid, movie. I get it. <laughs> Symbolism. I get what's happening here. I don't need the beating stick. The f- sheer fact that he just won't be charitable and dismisses these kids because they're annoyance is all I need. I don't need to really get like bash over the head, Cratchit. Yeah, yeah. This, the Cratchit performance is great. Some of the dialogue, it doesn't need to be there. Yeah, yeah, but it is. It's what I was saying. It's like the script just like doesn't quite trust its audience to get what it's trying to do. Well, it's so on he, FX. He, There's a lot yeah, of stupid yeah. stuff on FX. True. So he tells these kids to go away instead of giving them the coins, and he pockets the coins, and he tells Cratchit to go home. Mm. Um, and then I think, I don't I don't remember if the prepare ye came before that or after it. I don't know that it I think, matters I think Scrooge dismisses the kids. Yeah. Cratchit comes back and says, I've done it. Do you need me to do any more business work? He's still looking at the coins. Maybe sees the prepare ye before that, and that's like the, get the hell out of here, I'm scared. Yeah. And then, like you said, he's debating with reason. To let him leave. He won't leave because it's Christmas and there's no reason to be at the office. He won't leave. Yeah. But he's begging the universe to make it four o'clock. Yeah. He's like, I don't care if the clock lies to me, like whatever it has to do. It just has to be reasonably four o'clock so I can leave this because I'm a little concerned about what I'm experiencing. And he starts changing the time on his pocket watch. And when that happens... I guess like with Marley, the universe listened because it's four o'clock. And well, is- I think it's Marley. I think that we're supposed to believe that all of these things happening are Marley trying to get his attention. Because he keeps hearing Marley's voice. The coins drop and you hear Marley like cough or something. The prepare ye written in the book, which is a thing Marley's going to say to him later. Spoilers. And then the clock moving. I think it's all actually Marley. I think it is. Marley is the... um. Uh, Marley is the locutus of this. He yeah. is the spokesman for it, but he is not the mechanic behind it. He is okay. yeah. like the the spirits are. Yeah, that doing, is kind of clear from later on from, right, from like, what he, he says. doesn't get what's going on. He's just the avatar for it happening. He's yeah, he's the emissary and he's like and it's coming through him like prepare ye and all the words. But like I got a sense from later on when we get to that. Those are not his words. Yeah. Somebody is speaking through him at that moment. And interesting. Yeah. And, and I don't mind that I don't know. Because when this when this movie doesn't let me know and lets me think a little bit, I love it. When it's yeah. beating me over the damn head with something. Yeah, I think it actually does give us a little bit too like it it gives us too much information right. in some points, and then you're like, oh well, I preferred it when I didn't really know how that worked. Like I like you said, we, it's not interesting in the audience to follow along with such a radical change yeah. to the Christmas carol. So the yeah. things that are different. They have to know, we have to know why they're different. And I think it, it doesn't happen as much in this episode, but there's definitely going to be a thing where it makes a choice to change something. And then it's kind of shooting itself in its foot. Cause then it has to like explain that thing and make the other plot points fit that thing where if they didn't, if they just didn't change that thing to begin with, they wouldn't have the issue. It's a weird situation. Like they create their own problems. Well, um, don't we all? 
So we're going to continue and we're going to actually get back to the Cratchit house. But uh, appropriately, before we do that, we're going to pay our clerk. So stick around. We will be right back. Prepare ye! If I stopped you half a crown, fellow, you'd think yourself ill used, wouldn't you? Hmm? But you don't think me ill used if I pay a day's wages for no work, do you? Hmm? Jeez, only one cigar, sir. It's a poor excuse for picking a man's pocket every 25th of December. Um, so I hope ye is prepared because we are back. Prepare uh, ye! <laughs> um, so uh, we get back to the Cratchit house and Tim is kind of like pacing the floor doing like exercises for his It's kind his of like rehab, leg. physical rehab. Like he yeah. has to do like a certain amount of paces in between walls, a certain amount yeah. of times to keep himself strong and to build up strength. And it's the most logical thing because – Clearly, not only does he have like some sort of like problem with walking, but like he's sick. Like there's yeah. a, there's something like he's has he been coughing a little bit in this episode. Well, he so we we will find out that he was like he had a life threatening illness about seven years ago. So when he was a baby, so when he was a baby, he had a life threatening illness, and now he's you know he's he's on the mend, but he's still probably got a lot going on. You're right, yeah. he does have a yeah. lot going on. And then Bob's there. And what's interesting about this is he's working on, it looks to be like Tiny Tim's like Christmas presents, right? Like he's, he's making a horse, right? Like he's carving it. And first of all, great craftsmanship, Bob, make those and sell those on the street. I'm sure you'll make a little extra money and then you can find maybe another side job and not have to work for Scrooge. Yeah. But getting an MLM, you you know, know. do, do Herbalife or something. (laughs) Pinterest. Come on now. What's, what's the matter with you, Bob? So you got that going on and he's kind of like got this little sour attitude. I mean, he's still yeah. joking with tiny Tim, but he's got like this, like he's, he's grouchy. Like he's, he's had a bad day at work. He sounds like Scrooge. Yeah. Well, and Tim makes a joke about it. Well, mom right? says gr- uh, grumpy. D- when mom, when mom and uh, his sister come in, they go gr- grouchy daddy or something yeah. like that and he's like yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well and i think the point where it won me over was when bob's telling him like yeah no you have to do all 20 paces like you have to do all of them and, and tim says to him you sound like old scrooge and they kind of have a laugh about it and i really liked that personality beat for tim that really sold me on him as a character which means a couple of things which either means that if we ever do get the uh to scrooge the founder of the feast moment which I gotta say, not liking the chances of that line yeah, showing up, right? <laughs> um, but if he has any like reverence or like appreciation for Scrooge at all, that's a very interesting Tiny Tim there. Yeah. Um. So we get uh Mrs. Cratchit and Tiny Tim's sister coming in, and then there's this thing about this letter. Now, John, I didn't quite get the audio. Who is this letter for? So this is a letter that Tim is writing to Mrs. Cratchit's cousin in America. Okay. And and he's writing this letter. I guess he's written one every year that he, he could because um, this cousin provided either money or some kind of support that prevented Tim from dying. Oh, God. I'm going to save this for the predictions, but I know exactly where this is going. 
I don't like it. Uh, so I didn't so, know it was money. I knew that this cousin somehow saved Tiny Tim, but I was like, well, it's unclear whether it's money or like what it is. Like some, they provided some kind of support that that prevented Tim from dying. So okay, oh boy, we got well. We, there's a lot of good options on the table, and there's a lot of bad options on the table right now, and I'm not liking them. Do you want to talk about why you feel trepidatious about this? Like, what is her response when when Bob brings this letter up to well, her? Bob brings it up and she's like, we don't need to keep writing letters to that person. We can totally just, you know, forget about whatever has happened in the past that I clearly want to forget about. Right. Yeah. yeah and I feel shame about. Right. So that's happening. And earlier on, Tiny Tim, while he's doing his exercises, wants to go skiing instead. And there's skating. actually yeah, skating, skating. skating. Yeah. I don't care. <laughs> yeah skating and like he's got like i get i could be easier skating like yeah yeah skate before you can run and run before you can walk yeah that makes a lot of sense tiny tim like it's like yeah but bob's got an idea in his head the family's all together let's go let's uh, you know his sister go ski and tiny tim can at least be there and watch right like it's yeah and 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 we'll go to the post office and we'll all mail this letter together there's no excuse and she's got she's trapped in this and she has to play along and they get there and there's so many little beautiful moments first of all we get a nice moment with just seeing the children on the ice well we haven't well because next thing we have is the charity collectors oh we do get that first so scrooge is walking home and i feel like this charity collector scene is the most text accurate scene in the entire thing if i'm being honest if and I'm talking ha- about future episodes too. If you got to go completely text, you got to go with the charity collectors. Yeah. More than, as I've said, more than Fred, they've got to be there. They are. Yeah. Is the charity of- collector the same guy that was talking to Bob at the church? I think it might have been. It's like a long gap between those appearances, so I might have to go back and check. But I feel like he's the guy who invited Bob to a Christmas something in the first scene. I believe it. I I I totally I totally believe it. I mean, white guy with a big hand, like a big mutton choppy mustache. So right, I don't there's, think it could be there's, anyone, but. there's two guys there, and they're both asking for charity. And the verbiage is very close to the text. Yeah, it's a truncated version, right? Because he doesn't, he's, and, uh, and he doesn't do the whole surplus population line. He's just like let them die, right? Well, what happens is they're they're talking in his ear, and he doesn't want to hear it, right? So he's half yeah. listening. And he does that thing. They've also that, like interrupted his routine on his way home, which right. probably has him freaking out because he's so like locked into his routines. And and there are some horses going by him, right? So that distracts him. And he's watching them as he's hearing all this stuff, more noise coming at him. And this is a very human thing. At least I suffer from it as well. That if I am just being overwhelmed with stuff going on, sometimes my response is short and yeah. mean and just like the most blunt interpretation of that information and that's what happens here so yeah. it's not a 100 percent. this is my philosophy thing that's happening with scrooge here it's just like you caught him at the worst possible moment to say the worst possible thing he yeah. he tweeted something bad like that's just like he just he had a rough night at the bar and then he saw a bad trailer and he gave a bad hot take on it and the next thing you know he's canceled like so <laughs> This is a can- this is an accidental canceling here, but he's canceled. He yeah. said they should die. So yeah, yeah. unfollow. Yeah. <laughs> Hashtag Scrooge tweets. Um, Hashtag Scrooge canceled. Cancel yeah, Scrooge. Yeah. 
So don't do that. That's the lifeblood of our podcast. We need to keep him around. I didn't say anything else. Um, <laughs> yeah, so uh the this scene I think I feel like the scene could play out with him just saying like they should die and walking away and us feeling like wow he's a sad and bad person. But then there's this like there's this like spooky thing because the guy's like, don't you even have two pennies in your pocket? And the cinematography and the music is like, Ooh, he found two ghostly pennies. Ooh, remember it's so creepy. And, I, and I'm like, I like, I get it movie. I get it. More you don't so- need to beat me over the head with it. I get it. More than even the spookiness here. What takes me aback is the, you know, you don't even got the thing that you definitely got in your pocket because the plot yeah, said so. Yeah. Like that, you don't have this specifically dramatically ir- ironic prop, and that's not even the thing because that could be worked. Pro- you know, like you don't yeah. even have money. It's the shouting of it. Actually, yeah, nobody here is living in Victorian London. They are not. There is no, you know, properness. There's no nothing, and I get that. What this is doing, and like I said, with Deadwood and other pieces, it's by putting it in the mud, it's trying to make it believable for us, yeah. right? Because, I think because we just, like, we desperately want to believe that the present is more refined than the past, so the past has to be, like, grim, dark, and cruel, and ugly, right. and awful as possible, so that we can feel good about ourselves in the present. So, uh, back at the, with the Cratchits, Belinda is gonna go ice skating, and Tim is gonna sit and watch, because mm. he's a sad a sad little person who can't ice skate and, and we feel tragic and awful because he really wants to, and he's such a sweet kid. And um, Bob, Bob checks in with him during that, by the way, mm-hmm. like he gives like, like, yeah. hey, all right. Bob, like Bob's a good dad. Like he's like, I know this is a, what you want to be around right now, but B sucks. Yeah. And like, and Tim doesn't like try to hide it. He's like, no, I'm all right. Yeah. And he's not, but yeah. he is, and it's, yeah. it's, which is believable, which is, yeah. We've all been that kid where we like, yeah, there's so much stuff in this where I'm like, if, if someone had had the had the gumption to say, hey, Stephen Knight, no, <laughs> you can't do that thing. You can do this other thing that's really good, but you can't do that thing. That thing is bad and uh, pretentious and overindulgent. But this thing over here is really good. I think this would have been a lot better for scenes like this that are really good. <sighs> I mean, anytime we get to see more of the Cratchits, yeah. I'm yeah. I'm there for it. Which is going to be followed up with a scene that I like. I think is is bad, where Bob is clearly suspicious about this letter, right? And there's this tension between him and Mrs. Cratchit, and she's like super obviously uncomfortable about talking about like how to spell the name of the cousin and where is this money really coming from? And, she, and then she's like, "You watch the kids." Because the, now the kids are like, like Belinda's out on the ice and Tim is there. So it's not like he can follow her. She's like, I'm going to go mail the letter. And then she goes off and like throws it in the nearest little fireplace as soon as she's out of line of sight. Yeah. I mean, he he has the tracking information, so we'll know it won't get there, right? Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. N- now, Amazon this, Prime. It's, it's going to be really easy. This was the first choice I was completely not okay with. Yeah. Everything else personal preference my experience with the text this i think is a is is a wrong choice the cratchits need to be 100 percent together they have to be they have to be united because that's the only way they can survive in this world but i'm getting the feeling that they're not and they're not surviving i have a feeling that this is a much more fractured cratchit family 
And I don't like that. I don't like Mrs. Cratchit crying. Okay. She can be upset, right? And she can, and when in later scenes, Tiny Tim has passed away, of course, show emotion there. But she is a rock for this family. And I don't know what the hell's going on here. And I really don't like that. It's like, I don't like the fact that the first Mrs. Cratchit that's African-American or black, I don't know her background, but like is portrayed to be sinister and keeping secrets. Like that's kind of screwed up, right? There's, there's, there's some stuff. So I can't talk about it too much without really spoiling like a major plot point, but like, there it's this is one of those things like i said where this thing makes choices to change things or add things that become this like cascade of other weirdness that doesn't make sense i remember watching this initially and finding this hard to follow because it was just so different from what i was expecting watching it a a second time it's much more clear it's almost like too clear what's going on i guess but well um sometimes yeah there's some kind of weird intrigue happening and i think in a vacuum i'd be like what is this this is interesting this drama on the side but i think we're getting a lot thrown at us and and the whole time i'm just sitting there like okay what's like the least worst thing that can be going on with this and it's not good yeah whatever it is it's not it and i really bad about whatever it is she's hiding so when scrooge and like i said this jumps back and forth a bunch like it just can't dwell in any one place for super long even though it's incredibly long the pacing feels very like back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, but also like maybe 20 minutes too long. Yeah. Right. Um, indulgent. Scrooge gets back to his house and instead of the hearse, we have the carriage that was pulling Marley through the Christmas trees is now parked in front of his house. And it has the, the you know, hope and, and longing purgatory london written on the side and he's there like what like who left you here what's going on and he there's like a blanket in the back of the carriage and he doesn't see a driver around so he reaches into the back of the carriage and he grabs this blanket and he tosses it over the horse's backs to keep them warm and his his generosity is so magnanimous that it overloads the oil street lamp and it blows it out like like a like a, <laughs> like a ghost in a poltergeist movie. <laughs> it works just like electronic one, right? Yeah, okay. Yeah. Like, look. and I do feel like so that him throwing that blanket over the horse is like a little bit of a save the cat, and it's going to come up in a few minutes um, when he's talking to Marley. But I feel like they were terrified that you wouldn't notice it. So they had to do like a like a spooky jump scare. How here. the hell am I not going to notice these freaking symbolized horses, right? Just sitting yeah. in front of a house with freaking purgatory and all that stuff on the side of it being with a blanket. Because they take their damn time with it, so I'm going to notice. And yeah. it doesn't let things just... It doesn't let the audience get to the conclusion on their own. It has to hit you over the head. Yeah, yeah. And like you said, the lamp has to explode. Also the way that it like, like shines and then blows out looks like an electric light. I said, yeah, like yeah, but this it how- was an oil lamp, right? That wouldn't have been an electric light. Thomas Edison was around in 1843, right? I, yeah, it was weird. It's a no, weird he wasn't, choice. He wasn't, um, he wasn't around in eighteen forty. I know I'm acknowledging your sarcasm. So, okay. <laughs> uh, I think this is my favorite 
Marley Knocker. I could see that. It's pretty darn good. And and the reason for that is rather so what we've seen up until this point has been one of two things. It's either digital or a composite superimposing the actual actor's face onto the knocker and having Scrooge react to it. What they've done in this version is as he approaches the house, he looks up at the knocker and the knocker is a sculpted, rusty knocker that kind of looks like Marley's face. Right. And it's covered in a little bit of snow. So it's a little distorted, right? It's yeah. Not, it's it's kind of like his face at the beginning behind the glass. like, yeah. And he starts to inspect it. And upon inspection, the jaw drops. Yeah, he like reaches because he's got the the ring of the knocker in his mouth. So he reaches up to grab it and it kind of falls off. And then that startles him. And when he looks up, it's just like the lion head. It's Tony the tiger, you know, Uh, know, (laughs) Lion, right? Uh, Leo the lion. There we go. And um, yeah, and he just leaves the knocker little piece right on the outside and gets in the house. And so far, this is very, you know, not exactly the same thing. But yeah. this is perfect. Scrooge is scared getting into bed. So uh, he gets on his like fancy dressing gown. He's a little bit more of in like the Patrick Stewart school than like the shabby Seymour Hicks school. I feel like this is a classy Scrooge and uh, kind of settles in. And then he starts to hear just like bumps and thumps and weirdness in the house and and like a banging at the door and then he sees a shadow and I feel like they're trying to build suspense, but I feel like he spends like a couple minutes too long, sort of slowly walking around following this shadow and something is behind him, but he doesn't see it, but we do. And we're just sort of waiting for Marley to show up. Look, they built the set. They're going to shoot the set. Okay. They are going to get as much out of every location, either that they built or they rented. So they're going to use every single damn room. Yeah. And it all builds up to he wants to lock his room. He wants to yeah. lock himself in, but the lock has not is rusted or just yeah, so it's jammed like it's, it's not jammed. it's not closing. So he's trying to poke at it to make, force it in, but it's not working. And then he goes back into his bedroom and around there somewhere, we get a very I got to say very cool choice. Yeah, it's it's it is again this um this movie wouldn't know subtlety if subtlety popped up and beat it over the head with a giant red sledgehammer with subtlety written on the side. Everything has got to be the most extreme, the most grim, the most dark. This is a moment where it it kind of works because what he finds is Marley's disembodied jaw complete with tongue and bones on the floor. Yeah. Very, very Hellboy this type of moment. Like, yeah, just like, Oh Yeah well right so he turns around and and marley is behind him and it's pretty gross i mean because his jaw is missing and you just see his like his larynx and voice box kind of like flapping trying to make noises and he sounds like something out of a lovecraft story and then he picks the jaw up and like crunches it back onto his face and that's sort of like in most versions of a christmas carol like we saw in the Richard Williams one where he's got like the slack jaw hanging down. They sort of describe it like his mouth kind of flops open because he's dead. And this version, it's like, it's like, you know, the producer does like a huge bump of Coke and then it's like, well, okay, what if, what if, what if, what if his whole jaw falls off on the floor? Like, what if, <laughs> like, we got to play if... the Hollywood music for you now too? Damn I, it, Bobby. <laughs> uh, 
yeah, no, that's a different that's a different guy. They're in a conversation anyway. Um, oh wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. You're gonna have the jaw hit the ground. All right, now, now, now it's gonna be gross. Now, but we ain't gonna be subtle with this. No, we're gonna show it. Right, I gotta get right up in the larynx. All right, give me HD 4K larynx. Um, and and it's effective because it's very creepy and and it's like. Oh, this is like a PG-13 horror movie, like kind of vibe. <laughs> um and then and then he's like and then because this movie doesn't trust you with any information, Marley has to explain, "Oh yeah, you pulled my my jaw off outside and uh when I showed up, I was your knocker and I'm not sure why that happened, but then my jaw fell off and now I have to put it back on, so thanks." It's a really weird piece of dialogue. I could have dealt with job in adjust go warm your hands by the fire a little bit and scrooge just looks at him yeah and that works because it has worked for over a hundred freaking years hundred uh how long has this show been around well yeah this was written in in the mid 1800s so yeah over <laughs> 150 years yeah that has worked why i have to mess with i don't know but you know what so marley's in the chains he's explaining the obvious of what's going on with very aggressive which which works because he's like listen you gotta figure this out because i don't want to be like this forever right i've been in a i've been in a box for a year let's get let's fix this because and then he starts to intimidate him about what's going on and then he's like, we weren't good people. And he just keeps throwing it back. It's just a lot of profanity here. A lot yeah. of the F word coming around. And one big one in a moment, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, and so, so he shows him a vision. He, well, yeah. So he he's... Scrooge tries to leave. And then there's this like rumbling, explosive, concussive sound outside. And Marley basically tells him like, I don't know how these spirits work, but they have a little something to prepare for you. And we get like a little Susan of the ghost of Christmas uh, past because he goes out and outside of his bedroom door is like a giant factory that's on fire. And there's like a, it's like Normandy. There's a guy with like cradling his bleeding legs stump and, and like multiple dead, like preteens being carried out of the building. And it's all very dramatic. And someone's pointing at him like, you did this. It's you. Um, it's, it's, it's horrifying. Um, if you know anything about pre safety regulations in America or in the yeah. world in general, these were not uncommon. These were happening yeah. all the time. And if they didn't get press, nobody talked about them. Yeah. They might get inquisition. They might be looked into, but you could probably get the hell out of that. And that's what they talk about in a second. These were plentiful yeah. in examples. Here. And we're, we're also told that this is the result of Scrooge and Marley refusing to dig up and repair the gas lines. Right. Right. So this is a gas explosion that was happening because of a gas leak that they didn't repair. So it's on their hands. And um, they blamed the staff. They blamed everybody but themselves and they paid off the judge to get out of it. So yeah. like, it's not even like questionable legitimately. They are villains. Yeah. And it's almost too much. Yeah. So, so we're let's we'll, let's talk about that a little bit because I think this is a problem that this that it's a problem that starts here and will continue to become worse as this goes on. Where this 
the series is so intent on making Scrooge as horrible a person as he can be that the idea of him being redeemed becomes a a a less and less likely prospect as it goes on where you have a harder and harder time believing that this guy should receive any kind of redemption because he's because of like how much harm he's done it's not like a callousness in terms of lending or a a cruel a cruelty that is more neutral like we saw with Alistair Sim where you know he's just like i don't care that it's christmas like i'm not sentimental we have a business deal and that's right. just the way it is right scrooge has to be blind yeah i mean this yeah this scrooge is like a a, a crappy like one percenter you know with jeff bezos with people dying on the on the storeroom floor of heat exhaustion kind of guy he's lex luthor he's not well at, at least at this point he's not intentionally malicious he's just i mean that was a bit he's far. found ways to he's like yeah he's found like like i feel like he's not like a, a super villain he's just a bad person he's an, an unfeeling person who has made choices that harmed others that he's intentionally blinded himself it's to. It's, it's it's a rough go for redemption because yeah. We don't, I mean, Marley was just as bad, apparently, but like, yeah. we don't know what their relationship is like. We don't know what their roles were with each other. Was Marley just subservient in a sense? I, that could yeah. be, that could be. We will be. find out. I will say that. Right. So like, we have no real, like who was pulling whose strings here. Was it peer pressure? Was it really Marley behind everything? And Scrooge was kind of going along for the ride. Maybe like that's a possibility too. I'm not saying that's what's happening, yeah. but like. This is Scrooge can cause these things to happen. That's sad. And I'm not saying Yeah. That's I sad. think putting but it he here but he can't is have too been much. what putting it here is too much. I feel like we can't see because this is one of the worst things. Like there's bad stuff that we're gonna see Scrooge is responsible for, but this is like up there at one of the worst things, and it feels like they are it feels like they're cutting themselves off the knees a little bit in terms of the reveals later on where like there's stuff that gets revealed later on where we're like, well, yeah, we knew that already because we saw this other thing. You know, what's the moment that makes it really tough for me to see the Scrooge redeemed. It's the paying off of the judge. Yeah. I could believe Scrooge could trick himself into believing everything else. Marley was saying there that no, it was the workers. You do the work, you make it go. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You, you know, if they just done this, if they had done that, I have seen studies that have said that it, you know, this is the proper thing, right? Right, right, and that's that kind of like corporate data blindness to real right. people, Cave but that's different. That's different than like political corruption to cover up your crimes. If you are paying off a judge, you believe you're guilty. Yeah, that's got to be acknowledged in, in the next episode. Something's got to be done with that because if it's just a one-off line. That might be a bridge too far. I will say the next episode is like a really thorough deep dive into like all of Scrooge's stuff. It is like a 12 step program, deep penetrating inventory of his sins. So it's going to really dig into some stuff. Um, It's it's interesting. Um, And that but that kind of brings us to the end of this Marley sequence where um, 
after uh, he comes out of after he comes out of the vision and it it's it's like something out of Save a Private Ryan, just to give you yeah. another it's like yeah, that yeah, level. Yeah. So be ready for that if you are watching this stuff after our reviews for some reason. Yeah, this is Spoilers. an adults only Christmas Carol, I would yeah, say. Like this, I wouldn't say watch this with your young children. I would say yeah, the this, Mickey Mouse one is fine. Go do that. <laughs> yeah, I think you're good with the Mickey Mouse one for the kids. Um and we know that we can't we can't watch this with our kids because as soon as he comes out of it, I'm gonna say it here. And Scrooge is playing this off like this is a vision. I don't believe this. I don't believe this. And my favorite Marley moment in this is he leans right up against him and go, holds the chains right in his face like he's gonna punch him. He goes, "This ain't a fucking game. This is you're right. Like this is like this is real. Like look at my chains. Yeah. And yeah. it it's a little cheesy." But yeah, a little yeah. awesome at the same time. That's the Stephen Graham coming through. Where like he's got he's real good at playing like kind of like like English gangsters. <laughs> That's sort of what Marley is, in or this. can yeah. play like he's seen stuff yeah. and give that the weight it needs to. And he does. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I like so it kind of we get like a music cue that kicks in, and then he does the kind of classic Marley like tonight. You'll be visited by these three spirits. I thought this moment was a really good button on the Marley on his like Marley moment. Right. Cause we are going to see, we are spoilers going to see a little bit more Marley later. Like this is not the last we see of him in this obviously, but, um, well, you gotta see him in the past, regardless yeah. if we see another version of Ghost. But also, this is what I get to from earlier. I think the spirits are speaking through him here. Yeah, it feels like it because his demeanor changes com- a little and stuff. Com- completely different, and that's where it's like ties into earlier. Like this is like this is the spirits using him as the ve- vessel. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and then he ends it with "Prepare ye, prepare right, ye." Fin- with like what was going on in the book, and then Scrooge like looks away and looks back, and he's gone. Right, Which, and there's like a cool little frost effect, like the windows frost up where he was standing and stuff. You know what? When this movie wants to be subtle, yeah. it's pretty damn good. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it has its moments. It has its moments of self-restraint. Um, and uh, there's this great moment at the end of this chapter, because this is divided into three chapters. Scrooge sits down in the chair, and he's got like the fireplace poker in his hands, and he's counting down the time, and we sort of pan out, and we see London, and we hear Be- Big Ben chiming down, and he counts it, and he counts it to 11, right? right. As kind of like a, a final swing at this counting things to control, you know, his emotions. and And then he ends it with like one hour, and then it begins the battle between fancy and or between reason and fancy or fancy and reason. Right. Right. So he's acknowledging like there is something going on. Obviously, I'm having some kind of a weird experience. It's probably just my imagination and the real war for my rationale and my belief in the order of the universe begins in an hour. Yeah. As he's closing windows and locking himself into the house after Marley, he kind of goes into the upset stomach monologue a little bit. Like he, look, he kind of says like the undigested piece of a sausage or whatever yeah. he says. Yeah. Cause it's not actually, I think what's there in the text. It's kind of slightly different, but like, he's like, this is not real. I have some, yeah. so, something is going wrong with me and I have to fight through it and keep my sanity, which all right. Let's see how that works for you, cowboy. Oh, pray with it sail those ships all three on Christmas Day, on Christmas Day. Oh, pray with it sail those ships all three 
on Christmas Day in the morning. Um, in lieu of what we would normally do here, which is our, you know, our our final questions or our casting carols, James. Yes. What are your predictions for the next episode of A Christmas Carol? All right. I've got three big predictions. Um, I'm going to go in order of things that I believe are going to happen um, to things that I, they're completely shots in the dark. All right. Um, number one, I definitely think we are going to get more. Oh, wait a minute. Let me back up for a second. Cause I had a thing and now it went on my head for a second. Cause I was thinking the other thing. <laughs> Cause the other thing is really. Um, all right. Here are some things that I think are going to happen in the next episode. We're going to get to see Faye, obviously. I think we're going to get a lot more of Scrooge's sister in this. I think that's going to be great. I think we're going to get Scrooge's dad. I think that's inevitable. I think, um, I think that might have been a little bit spoiler for me, John. So that was always in my head. But, like, that's going to happen here. Mm-hmm. No way this guy did not have an effect on his son. Totally. Okay. Um Here's the one I'm really worried about. Okay. Mrs. Cratchit. Uh-huh. Had to get this money somehow. Mm-hmm. I am extremely worried she's going to turn to prostitution. I am extremely worried that she is going to do something. You know, and that's not a commentary on sex workers. I'm not saying that, but like that's not who this woman is. And she is... She's she's forced into it for her ch- child, and she's she doesn't want to relive it. She doesn't want to do it, and I'm really worried that what's going to happen is who does she turn to? Scrooge, and Scrooge gives her the money for something else, and I'm really really worried that's what's, what's going to happen here because this Scrooge is a scumbag. And I'm not happy, okay? I don't like the look you're giving me, John. I don't like it. I'm not I'm not giving you any kind of look. I'm I behind know, my pot filter where you cannot see my reactions. Oh, I don't want... So that like I'm really worried they're gonna go like that dark. And mm-hmm. and like again, I don't like that this is what they're doing with, with Mrs. Cratchit. I think this is really you could argue that it's making her a stronger character in this sense that she's she's a tough character who will do anything for her family. She's she is she that she, that's her strength that she can persevere and try to do that for like do anything for her family, right? Same time I don't like it. I think I think I think it I think it weakens the Cratchit family dynamic and it adds tension where there doesn't need to be tension and it and I hope it doesn't end with Bob leaving her when he finds out. I really hope. I really hope that's not it. I really hope that this. I'm okay with choices being made that are like unique choices. I'm not okay with characters not being who they are. Scrooge needs to be Scrooge. Bob needs to be Bob. Mrs. Cratchit still need must be Mrs. Cratchit. Maybe in this universe it is still Mrs. Cratchit. I don't know, but I'm not I'm not here for that type of turn if that's happening. Well, 
If you have any predictions about what's going to happen in our next episode, you are more than welcome to email them to jacobmarleyisdead at gmail.com or you can tweet them to us at marleyisdeadpod or, you know, DM us on Instagram, I guess, if that's a thing. I don't know what the popular social media is anymore. We have a Facebook. Um, Feel free to contact us at any of those places. Um, We have some thank yous. A big, big brand new thank you um, for those of you who may not already know to Zane and the other wonderful people at That's Not Canon Productions, Mm. the the indie podcast network that has graciously invited us uh, to join in and become... um, one of the shows under their umbrella. They are a uh, fantastic group of people helping out indie productions like ourselves who have a really weird idea and are trying to get something out there to get a little bit more exposure. So big thank you to um, our new family at That's Not Canon. Um, You can head over to Patreon to show them some love if you're interested in uh, seeing what they have to offer um, and follow them on all the normal social media platforms. Yeah, I really love that name. That's not canon. I, I've come up with a phrase, John, actually. Um, there's a saying from The Wire, a, a man needs a code, right? Mm-hmm. I've come up with this. A nerd needs a canon. Oh, boy. Like, a nerd needs, like, a continuity is a, maybe the longer term. For, like, it's nicer to say a nerd needs a canon, but it doesn't really explain it. A nerd needs continuity. Like, we yeah. need backstory, history, and all that stuff. So, I like that name. That's not canon. That's that's a nice, nice work there, friends. I, I thumbs up, double thumb, <laughs> double thumbs, thumbs up. Uh, thank you as always to Ben DeVries for our opening, closing, and interstitial music. Um, thank you to Milo Newman for uh, our amazing cover art, and thank you to you listeners who continue to turn tune into this uh, show week after week. Uh, James, what is something that people can do if they would like to support us here at the podcast? They could leave a five-star, 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 five-star review on iTunes or wherever they listen to their podcasts. Thank you, friends, to those who have done it. It only takes a few seconds, and it really, really, really helps the podcast. I don't get it. You don't get it. But the people at iTunes and all these podcast places, they get it. So please leave the five stars and write a review. I read them. (laughs) (laughs) For what it's worth. You want to say that Jimmy guy doesn't know a thing? Write it, but leave five stars. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. Oh, man. Well, we will continue next week with the next chapter of uh, A Christmas Carol 2019, The Human Heart. And until we do that. Wait a minute. The human heart. Mm-hmm. They were stretching with the human beast. Damn yeah. it, Bobby. Yeah. Uh, and wait till you hear the chat, the the third chapter title, which makes it even more obnoxious. The human um, skull. I don't know. <laughs> if it's well, the human, if it's the human soul, like, oh no, Bobby. Oh no. Somehow even worse than that. We'll talk about it. Uh, We'll talk about it right here on Jacob Marley is Dead. And until we talk about it, as Tiny Tim observed, God bless us, everyone. On Christmas Day in the morning.
Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.